Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Episode 900 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, and today I'm joined by a very special guest who's also been here for 900 episodes. <laughs> Brittany Page, everybody. 900 episodes. Can you believe it? Who who would have thought? Not, not me. <laughs> no, not, without a doubt, not me. You know... It is. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about. I know we talk. We, it seems that we we tend to talk about the show and it's 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 uh, the nexus of the show and how we started a lot. Only because it's not lost on us how lucky we are to be doing what we do. That we started this podcast in March. March eleventh will be ten years ago that we started this show, and here we are, nearly a thousand episodes deep. When at our kitchen table with ragtag equipment like mm-hmm. the, we went to Best Buy and like before podcasting was a thing I mean before it was like, like main mainstream before the joke was everybody has a podcast we started a po- podcast and a lot of podcasts they it's there's a thing in the biz that's oh god called, <laughs> that's called pod fade and it usually happens like seven episodes deep or no more than like 14 episodes people lose the motivation they lose the 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 passion for it because they they, they go into it thinking I, this is what i assume that it's going to be so much fun and you're going to build this audience really really quickly and then when that doesn't happen you're kind of like oh, why am i doing this if nobody's listening we were lucky enough to find an audience almost immediately and so that never really happened but a lot of people who want to start a podcast don't realize just how much work goes into it, whether that be the pre-production stuff like planning and getting all these clips or or just the manner with which you present it as I fumble and stumble like I've not been doing this for 10 years. Um, and we're, we're, we feel very lucky. We're very thankful to the audience, to all of our patrons and everyone who listens. It's, uh, it's kind of magical. Yeah, I think it's funny to reflect on, too, in the beginning when you start doing a podcast, the only people listening to that podcast are your friends. Maybe your friends. And your family. (laughs) And then once you get to where we are, 
none of the people that we're close to listen to the show. Oh, yeah, that's true. No one gives a single F. <laughs> that... This will be on YouTube. People aren't happy with that, um, with the cursing. So no one cares once you get, once you've been doing it for so long, your friends just don't care. It becomes like, oh, yeah, you're still doing that thing? Cool. How's that going? But in the beginning, <laughs> right. I, I, and I should actually say I do have friends that still listen to the show that are listening to me say this right now and they're like, "Wow, she's forgetting that we're friends." No. <laughs> I'm I am remembering you. I'm remembering you, but for the most part. For the most part yeah. I'm saying, for the most part it it goes from seriously only people you know are like curious about this thing that you're starting and then it becomes, "Eh, I'm not going to keep listening to that." That's I've never thought about that, but that is absolutely true. Yeah. Like for instance, Brett number two, who was a, a big part of the show, even as like a mentioned character on the show, my best friend of over 30 years, he and Lisa don't listen to the show anymore, mm-hmm. which is fine. It's, there's no butt hurtness over it. It's just something I've never thought about, that, yeah. that, that flip that happens. Yeah. So we're definitely grateful. It seems strange to be at 900 episodes, although it's kind of perfect timing with the 2024 election just getting underway. And given where we started in 2024 or 2014 to where we are now with the 2024 election, it's going to be intense. We're, we feel lucky to be able to talk about the news, talk about what's going on, and to talk about it with the audience and to invite you guys in. One thing that we want to talk about is the Patreon end of your gift because yes. we just we just had that. We're still sending it out, honestly. We have additional... Okay, here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> if you don't want to know what the Patreon end of your gift is, skip ahead like five minutes because we're going to spend like five minutes talking about it. Okay. Wait, wait. <laughs> no, give, they have give time. Give them time. Give them they time. They have time. They have they, time. Some people have to reach for the for the pause button. Well, ah, you, you better figure ah, it out. Okay. So. All right, too late. Yeah, so it was a sticker pack, and it was four stickers. Although if you right were here. if you were a new here's two of them if you were a new Patreon supporter and you were owed your your welcome sticker as we call it, then you also had like a logo sticker in your in your envelope. But the end of your gift was four stickers that were designed by artists that we know or found. And they represent themes of the show. We try to represent some themes from the show, either from that year or just globally. And the first one that we did was the National Abortion Federation. We had um, Melissa from the National Abortion Federation on to talk about the hotline that they run there for helping people get abortions and fund travel to abortions. It's Melissa Fowler. I think she's the chief program officer for the National Abortion Federation. Right. And so they run that national hotline, which is such an important resource given the current climate that we have in this country, where if you, again, need help accessing abortion, you can call that number and they will help you obtain care. They will help you fund that care, whether it's funding travel or actually funding the procedure. So, and you guys actually helped raise money for that as well. $15,000 we we, uh, were the conduit for and amazing. Right. So... We wanted to give a sticker so you guys can put that on your laptop, on your phone, out in public, whatever you want to do with it. In, a, in, the, in the bathroom of a bar. That has happened. <laughs> so we also did a St. Sweepy sticker, which is, I think, 
the favorite so far yeah, out, yeah, out yeah. of the feedback that we've received. That has been the favorite. We have a bulldog, an almost two-year-old bulldog at this point named Sweepy in honor of our former bulldog who passed away, Popeye. And so if you if you know the cartoon lore, then you know that Sweepy is Popeye's son in the cartoons. Now, Sweepy is a girl, but, you know, we, we're keeping with the Popeye thing. The off, offspring. Yeah. Yes. And so we did a St. Sweepy sticker, and it's based on, like, those candles that you see with, like, the saints on them in the dollar store. We were in New Orleans, and I, th- I saw uh, a St. Lizzo one. Yes. It's like a, a la that. Yeah, or there's been like St. Pedro Pascal ones. There's St. Bourdain. Yeah, exactly. T- Tony Bourdain. And so yeah. we're like, we're going to turn Sweepy into that. We're yes. going to honor Sweepy with that. And so that's been a crowd favorite. We also did an I Doubt It sticker of just the logo, but turned it into like a 70s theme. Because of Britney's love and devotion and fandom of disco and 70s music. We, we thought it apropos of, of what we talk about on the show. Right. And Grooving then, on democracy is what it says. And then the fourth one... Is Dollamocracy. That's right. With the boxing gloves, which is kind of a play on the the segment bumper for Dollamocracy where it says we're, we're fighting uh, pessimistic politics with real, realistic optimism, and that's the other one. Yeah. So really, they really do... The, the, it encapsulates a lot what, what went on in the show this year, what it, just the show is about, and it's it's nice to give back to the audience to remind them that we <laughs> are e- in, eternally grateful for their contributions and that uh, without them, without you out there, we wouldn't have made it 10 years and we wouldn't be doing the show today. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. Yes. And with that, we are going to thank our Patreon oh, yes. supporters. So our new Patreon supporters, thank you to Jum. Jum. Edwin G. Edwin G. Rob T. Rob T. Chris T. Chris T. Mark M. Mark M. Glennie F.S. Glennie F.S. Bob. Bob. Jeff A. Jeff A. Douglas E. Douglas E. Patrick W. Patrick W. Josephine P. Josephine P. And then we want to give a special shout out to Elizabeth R. Elizabeth R., thank you very much. For increasing the pledge on Patreon. Amazing. So, like I said, we still have these... The people who didn't want it spoiled for them may be back, so I have to think about that. We still have Patreon end of your gifts. So if you would like to receive one, you can become a Patreon supporter. And I'm just going to keep sending them until we run out. So, Well, let's... Let's do it in stages. Let's because we don't know if we'll have enough. Yeah, well, I guess we could print more. But let's say by the end of February. The end of February, if you become a a patron, going to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast, you too will get the sticker pack and the welcome stickers. And uh, all will be right with the world, with you knowing that you're helping support and produce this work where we effort to move the conversation forward on an episode by episode basis. And uh, we would uh, very much appreciate it. Yeah. The other thing we do on the show and have done really since the beginning uh, is bring in people's opinions and um, to help us move that conversation forward, to have a conversation. And we give a, an email and a phone number out every multiple times every episode, and we invite your participation. We're going to get to some listener communication, but before we do, uh, 657 464 
7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo, as always, from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. First, I want to say we got an email and we read an email on the last episode on 899 from Anne G. At, at the time, there was no name in the body of the email. And when that happens, we treat that as anonymous because people recognize, given the volume of death threats that we receive and the vitriol that we receive, there are many people who are like, I don't want any part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we totally understand. So you want to keep it anonymous. And the way that you do that is either by not saying your name during a voicemail or by not putting your name into the body of an email. However, this email was so profound and so many people benefited from hearing me read it as it was written. It's also tremendously well written. Yeah. And so we said, you know, to this person, if you want your name attached to that, let us know. And G wrote us in, wrote in and said, I don't mind having my name attached to it. So shout out to Anne G for writing that email, sharing that information on the previous episode. It was very moving. We received a ton of messages from people that really appreciated you writing that message. So thank you so much for doing that. Now we are going to start with a kind of a fun one. This is for Jesse D. Mr. Dollamore just wanted to drop a line. I love the show. Also, whoever your stylist is, (laughs) give them a raise. Your suits are on point. Hope you, Brittany, and the show continue to do incredibly well. Thanks for your content. It's engaging and informative. Regards, Raven. Raven. Well, thank you very much as I wearing a a jean jacket today. (laughs) Um, You are thanking me if you're thanking my stylist or if you want me to thank my stylist. It's me. I'm the problem. (laughs) It is me. Uh, yeah, we don't... It's it's kind of a la that, that comment you got on. I think it was a YouTube comment that was like, oh, this this rich lady with her her makeup team and whatever they said. I don't remember what they said, but... They, th- they kind of went Job Bluth on me where they were like, this woman in her $500 power suit. <laughs> oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> it's like a, a blazer that was on sale from J Crew. I have yoga pants on on the bottom, but you right. can't see that. And there's um, no makeup team. There's. I wish. <laughs> right. I. I des. I desperately wish they were like your hair is never out of place. I'm like, oh, thank you. I <laughs> put a lot of effort into that. I'm happy it's being recognized. <laughs> yeah. Again. Again. Uh, there is no team. The the only team is I'll come downstairs uh, from getting ready and Brittany be like, oh no, you've. You've got a, a a booger on your face or in your nose or like that's my team. It's say, like, hey, no, this is a, a disaster waiting to happen. So yeah, yeah. Well, good job. It looks like you have a team. Yeah, that's great. what matters. <laughs> so thank you to Raven. Absolutely, thank you. Yes. Uh, this next one is from Glenn. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. Thanks for all the work you do. Actually, let's pause. Nine hundred episodes, still not prepared. So this is in response to. What we talked about on two previous episodes in Ohio related to Governor Mike DeWine. And in those previous episodes, we talked about legislation that was put forward, House Bill 6-8, that would keep minors from receiving gender-affirming care. It was going to restrict access to minors' mental health care. It was going to prohibit transgender women from playing girls' and women's K-12 through and college sports. And Mike DeWine came out and announced that he was going to veto the, the bill. 
And I mean, he did it in a real disingenuous, now we know, very disingenuous. Because this is all about the children of Ohio, and I'm not going to allow the children of Ohio, blah, 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 blah. And then he betrayed those very children. And then a week, yeah, so we played his initial speech. Then a week later, he came out and said that he actually was going to support and and implement some restrictions, although they were less than what the original bill was. Anyway, fast forward to now. The Republicans in the State House voted to override Governor Mike DeWine's veto of the bill. So if if it goes forward, then the law is going to go into effect 90 days after that. So this email is in response to that entire fiasco. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. Thanks for all the work you do on raising awareness and standing up for a principle in the face of everything. My comment is on your Mike DeWine veto segment. I watched on your YouTube channel. To coin a phrase, I doubt it. As an Ohio resident, the governor's veto and his seemingly heartfelt speech was a huge surprise. I don't think he actually wants this bill sunk. He's the sort of politician who already talked to the legislature and has worked out that the supermajority will override his veto. So the question is why he did it. And the answer is moderate voters. The Republican Party is shedding moderates with all of their harsh policies here in Ohio. I know quite a few lifelong Republicans who, between abortion rights and Donald Trump, will not be voting Republican anymore. I personally feel this is DeWine's gambit to appeal to those moderate voters and win a few of them back. The state is 52-48, but the state house is 70-30, and you can't maintain that level of gerrymander if you lose the moderates. Call me cynical, but I don't believe for one moment that my governor is actually going against the will of his own party. He never has before. Thanks for hearing me out, and keep up the great work. Glenn, Ohio resident, engineer, father of three. So Mike DeWine is, he's a slippery character because he does come across, it's the, it's the conundrum that we have today with the Republican Party. Just because you're not a Greg Abbott or a Ron DeSantis or some other radical within the Republican governor's um, uh, cohort doesn't mean you're still not a radical. Uh, Mike DeWine, he plays the milk toast, run-of-the-mill Republican pretty well, but there was absolutely some chicanery and uh, a conspiracy afoot, and I don't mean conspiracy theory or criminal conspiracy, but there was collusion between the Ohio legislature and Mike DeWine, without a doubt, uh, on this matter. And I think, I think uh, the emailer, what was the name again? Glenn. Glenn. Sorry, Glenn. Um, I think Glenn is absolutely right that it, it is a play for those moderate voters because what we're witnessing right now among Republicans running for office is people who were staunchly pro-life, quote-unquote, no exceptions. All these people are now dropping abortion as an issue from their websites, not talking about it because they know, they know, they know that abortion is a losing issue even among Republicans because the vast majority of Americans support uh, bodily autonomy and a, a physician and the patient making those decisions together and not having the government involved. So I think there's something to be said for what Glenn is uh, getting at here. Yeah, and one thing we talk a lot about on the show is not losing hope. And so I think people see the situation. They see that the state ho house voted to override Mike DeWine's veto of the bill. They know that Senate Republicans are likely to follow suit next week. 
they hear that if that happens, the law will go into effect 90 days later. That can feel like a hopeless situation, but there are advocates who are working, who are encouraging people who live in Ohio to call their state senators ahead of that vote. And it, it's unfortunate because Governor Mike DeWine came out and he made a statement after after the override of his veto. And he said that he thinks for a lot of Republicans in the state, it's about the issue of trans people playing in women's sports. And again, no matter how many times you tell these people that it's like one person that you're talking about in the entire state or two people that you're talking about in the entire state, they don't care. Yeah, Not only that, there are... You have to be uh, on like hormones for a certain amount of time. It's not like all you, this is how Republicans would make you think is that all you have to do is just declare yourself a female and then you're automatically running in women's races. That's not how it works. Also, why are we punishing, oppressing an entire group of individuals within the, the, the country based on junior high and high school sports, college sports? It seems to be, I mean, it doesn't seem to be. It's absolutely just to rile up the base with culture war bullshit. But it's 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 harming an entire group of already oppressed, already endangered uh, individuals in the, in the country. Well, and just like, you know, those TikTok videos where people walk up to kids that are wearing like a Def Leppard shirt and they're like, oh, tell me a Def Leppard song. And, yeah. and the kid's like, uh, uh, I can't think of one. <laughs> <laughs> We should do that to these people who support this legislation. Like, name a woman basketball player. You know, name a woman soccer player. They don't care about women's sports. Right. In fact, they mock women's sports. That's, I mean, I have grown up seeing that my whole life, men mocking women's sports. It's a feature of some dudes' personalities to, oh, women's soccer, oh, women's basketball. Yeah, and now suddenly they're super concerned about the right. integrity we, of the We sport. must preserve the WNBA, <laughs> yep. say these assholes. Please, please. <laughs> no. Anyway, Glenn, thank you for <laughs> thank you for the email. Uh, we, we appreciate it very much. Uh, I think that's it for the listener communication for this episode, so we're going to move on. If you, too, would like to get your voice on the record, get a question, make a comment, uh, whatever, 657 464 7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone, as always, to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Moving on. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Dilemocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we are going to do some follow-up from our previous episode where we talked about a resolution that Senator Bernie Sanders was putting forward in order to force a probe into whether Israel has violated human rights in the war on Gaza. And Apparently watching TV... And seeing the, the the facts of what we're witnessing, 
isn't enough. We need a probe. But well, uh, but good for Bernie, for sure. Yeah, because it, it would have been important. Uh, spoiler alert, the Senate rejected it. it. It would have been important for conditioning aid. That would have been the primary thing, which is difficult to do, typically. And you, you've all seen it in the headlines. They're just checks being written out and tossed to Israel. And it doesn't matter what they're doing, what they might be doing. It it The fact that they tell us to fuck straight off when we ask questions. We're going to do what we're going to do with your money. Right. And so this was a way to get that aid to be conditional upon Israel meeting certain requirements like not committing human rights violations. But before the vote, and like I already said, the Senate rejected this this effort. But before the vote, Bernie Sanders came out and he made it clear what rejecting this meant, what message that would send. Now, a vote against this resolution, which I have a hard time really understanding, it says, quote, I don't want more information. I'm going to vote against this resolution. I don't want a report from the State Department. I don't know. I don't want to know how U.S. military aid in Israel is being used. I don't want to know what responsibility the United States may have for this humanitarian disaster. I want to keep my head in the sand. I don't want to see what's going on. And frankly, Mr. President, no matter what your view on this terrible war may be, agree with me, you don't agree with me, we cannot bury our eyes in the sand. Now listen. A lot of people will talk about how there's so much nuance in this issue, and, and, and that is true. But a lot of people use that phrase and that train of thought to give cover to Israel for the very clear human rights violations and war crimes that are being committed using American dollars. So there's no nuance in that. The nuance comes in that, yes, Israel absolutely as a nation has a right to defend itself without a doubt. But does that uh, right to defense, to self-defense, include in it the systematic killing of innocent women and children and non-combatants? The answer is no. You don't get to turn off the water and, and food supply and starve an entire population of millions of people violates the Geneva Convention. It violates international norms and laws. It is disgusting. It is a human rights abuse. You don't get to, especially in in my way of looking at it, using billions of American dollars to say to a population, hey, listen, as a part of our effort to rid uh, the world of Hamas, we're going to be bombing in this area. So move south. And then when that population moves south, you bomb them along the way. Killing thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of children who had nothing to do with the installment of Hamas as leadership in governance in Palestine, which happened in 2006, when the the majority of the population of Gaza is under the age of 18 or right around that age. Israel is without a doubt committing war crimes and whether you like oh well that's not the definition of the genocide what's the number that we would need to reach of dead palestinians to start calling it a genocide 
Because it's over 24,000 at this point yeah. in over three months, and 85% of the population has now been displaced. And just this week, Netanyahu came out and said that he opposes a Palestinian state in any post-war scenario. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's making it clear, I think, what what his goals are, what he intends here. And, and also, very quickly, let's be clear about who Benjamin Netanyahu is. He's a Trump character. He's a Trump-like figure. He's not a moderate. He's not a normal leader. He's under criminal investigation for, for wrongdoing. He's just like a Trump. So for us to just get behind whatever Bibi Netanyahu says it, uh, is, is the way it is, is a, a fool's errand on the part of the United States and our foreign uh, uh, relations uh, wonks. What are we doing? We're jumping behind a Trump character. It's like if something went down in Brazil and we jumped behind Bolsonaro. Come on. And only nine Democrats joined with Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Disgraceful. And one Republican, Rand Paul. So, yeah, it's it's very disturbing. And we get a lot of messages related to Gaza, people accusing us of not talking about it enough, people disagreeing with our stances. Again, we've talked about just the, the climate of when you try to talk about something like this. I've been called pro Hamas, which is absolutely ridiculous. But I I think it's important to keep talking about it. We are going to keep talking about it. Maybe not enough for certain people's tastes, but again, can't please everybody. And after 900 episodes, that is a lesson that we have learned very well. We have very well onboarded that message. <laughs> uh, there's another story we talked about in previous episodes that I that I think we should talk about because there's been a development. And it is the case of a Mississippi man who was hit by an off-duty police officer. Correct me any of these parts that I'm getting wrong, Brittany. And then died subsequently. And then his body was just buried in a, a prisoner burial ground with no markings. And uh, a case was brought against this Mississippi Police Department. Well, now there's a development. And it is the thing of nightmares. Yeah, there's actually hundreds of burials behind this jail. There's hundreds of people that have been buried behind this jail. It's not just Dexter Wade, but Dexter Wade's mother, Betterston Wade, came forward. And because she came forward and said, I reported my son missing, they hit him with a car. The police hit him with a car, buried him behind this jail, never contacted me, even though we now know that after his body was was exhumed, there was a wallet that was found yeah, he was on him. Buried with his, with his identification. Come his, on. His ID and his home address. Ugh. And so Betterston Wade is continuing to push forward. And because she is, we are now learning of the hundreds of bodies that have been buried behind this jail. And I haven't seen <laughs> I haven't seen this enough in, in in online media. I have not seen this story covered enough because what is going on here? But thankfully PBS NewsHour interviewed Betterston Wade as well as her attorney, Ben Crump, about what is happening behind this jail. And I should say, Ms. Wade, I mentioned families because you are not alone here. There's been in the last few months the discovery at least two other men, 40-year-old Mario Moore and 39-year-old Jonathan Hankins, were also killed and buried in that same cemetery and their families not notified for months. From your perspective, Ms. Wade, what do you want to see happen now? Well, for the first of all, I feel like that uh, the city needs to give me an acknowledgement to say that, hey, I'm sorry, 
I mean, just give me some kind of closure and explain to me what actually happened to my son on that freeway that night. You know, how did it actually occur? You know, just what went down, the events that went down with it. And I want to see justice. I want to see justice done for this because it's wrong. It's wrong to take somebody's child and bury them in a field and take, and I didn't even get a last chance to say anything to my child, or either I didn't even get a last chance to just say, baby, I love you. Just to look down on them and say, baby, I love you. They haven't even came and called me and said, Miss Wade, could you come down and we explain to you what happened? I mean, I haven't even got a word. And so how do that feel? That makes you feel like they are guilty. They are guilty of a crime because they can't tell you what happened. Miss Wade, do I understand correctly that the mayor, no one from the police department has reached out to you to explain what happened to your son? No, no one have reached out to me to say explain it, you know, to explain what happened to my son. But I did at least have city supervisors, you know, the supervisors, the board supervisors to say, you know, that they hated what happened to me. But I haven't had said anything. Nobody from JPD, Jackson Police Department, mm-hmm. have came to me and acknowledged me. Mr. Crump, the story gets even more disturbing with this discovery of 215 bodies in that cemetery. What do we know about those bodies? We know based on the records from the coroner's office that since uh, 2016, in the last eight years, we can identify 215 individuals that were buried behind that jail and their families have not been notified. Furthermore, (laughs) Mr. Wade was number 672. That means there are 671 other people buried behind that jail marked with only a number. That is remarkable yeah and really the clip starts with i mean imagine this woman reported her son missing learned that the police had killed him and buried him in in a grave marked only with a number and they have they still for months after all of this has been exposed they haven't called her they haven't attempted to explain what happened, even if it would probably be lies. They haven't even they haven't reached out to this woman yeah. to attempt to right a wrong or even just extend just human compassion for what has happened here. Ima- imagine that. I mean, and also these are cops. These are upholders of the law to serve and protect. That's who these people are, who are just indiscriminately burying hundreds, hundreds of people in unmarked graves behind a jail. And not notifying their families. It really does raise the question. The feds better get involved here. Who are these people? What were the circumstances behind their deaths? And um, I don't think it takes any kind of a psychic or, or prognosticator to say that I... I'll tell you right now, we're going to find out. We're going to get to the bottom of We're going to find out. But the vast majority, if not every single one of these people, I bet is black. And that this Jackson Police Department and whatever other municipal government uh, organizations are doing some terrible things and then covering up for those terrible things that they do. Yeah. Absolutely remarkable that in 2024, I mean, look, 
looking back at the history, and we could just look at the history of Mississippi related to the lynching of thousands and thousands of black men and families in this country, in Mississippi, this is just a continuation of that. This is just... Um, this we're going to look back on this in 50 or 60 years and it's going to be another insane chapter in the oppression and the abuse of 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 black americans in the south well all over the country but specifically in mississippi gross and also juxtapose this with what we just talked about which is these republicans that are concerned about in their entire state, one child who may be trans and playing on a girls' sports team. like, <laughs> And there's hundreds of bodies right. that are marked with a number only that are buried behind a jail. The families haven't been contacted. They hit this man and killed him with their car and buried him with his ID and his home address when his mom had reported him missing and didn't contact her. Because they said that they were unable to. They couldn't track her down. They didn't know how to do it. Well, well here's what I think you're missing, though, Brittany. Hundreds. Um, what, about, what about Thin Blue Line and, and back, back the Blue and their heroes? We, no, Brittany, you're wrong. Cops are heroes. They never do anything wrong. We have to give them the benefit of the doubt because of how difficult their job is. Well, here's, what, here's what's <laughs> difficult is figuring out which police stories to cover on the show and yeah. which not to cover. Because I, during any given week, there are so many stories about police misconduct that it's like, which one do we cover? Which one do we go to? Which one do we talk about? Th this could be just a podcast about the sexual crimes of cops. I mean, it's it's so much. And again, this week, we learned there was body footy, body cam footage that was released. Body footy camera. What was I about to say? <laughs> Something good. <laughs> body cam footage that was released showing that the cops raided a home and... I mean, when I say raided the home, I mean they did the whole thing. They threw the flashbangs through the window. They kicked in the doors. They they definitely went in this house like they were certain it was the right house. But it turns out it was not the right house. Police search work under the door! It only took about 10 seconds between Elyria police announcing their arrival. And barging into the home where Courtney Price and her 17-month-old son, Waylon, were staying in Cleveland suburbs last Wednesday. Police also threw flashbangs through a window that Price says landed near Waylon and that he was exposed to smoke and suffered burns. Price and Waylon, who suffers from multiple health issues, were staying at her aunt and uncle's home. After being ordered out of the house, she was immediately placed in handcuffs and questioned. My biggest thing was just obeying them and getting me and my son out of there. After six minutes, police allowed Price back into the home to tend to her son. Just her breathing isn't normal, but like he's okay. Police and paramedics took Waylon to the hospital later that day, but he was quickly released. That night, my son started struggling to breathe, and that early morning, he quit breathing. So we called 911 again. Price says Waylon was transferred to another hospital, where he's still being held and being provided oxygen. Now we're just trying to wind his ventilator back down to a point that he can go home. Elyria police say they were executing a search warrant for a teen suspect involved in a burglary. But Price's family say police got the wrong home. Price says that is backed up by ring video from the house she posted on Facebook, capturing this moment after the raid. 
Elyria's mayor has ordered a full investigation into the incident to, quote, answer questions of what led to the warrant itself. My son doesn't deserve this. We're not asking for an apology now. It's too late for one. They did what they did and they need to pay for it. For CBS Mornings, I'm Elise Preston. And that is the attitude that people need to have in every single one of these situations. Because, listen, without that ring camera footage of them saying this is the wrong house... They would have tried to deny, get out of it, explain right. away. But no, they they knew that it was the wrong house. And thankfully, she had a ring camera. I know there's a lot of controversy over ring cameras and their existence. But thankfully, she has actual footage of them saying, this is the wrong house. Wait, but Brittany, you're not remembering... <laughs> Thin blue line, back the blue, That's heroes, right. That's right. That's serve right. and protect. Right. What about that? Right. You know what's remarkable is the thing, the, the line in there, it was something about my biggest thing was to just obey them. Mm-hmm. And in America, that's what you have to do or you will be punished and maybe killed. Right. Because our cops have carte blanche to act like they want to act, to do what they want to do, up to and including killing innocent people. Yeah. We need a reform of police. We need a reform of police hiring. We need to gut police culture and this strange uh, ability to just go through life believing you will you will exist consequence-free for all of the most terrible things, up to and including burying hundreds of people in unmarked graves or... Uh, raiding the wrong house, handcuffing the homeowner or the resident there, and and uh, nearly uh, sending her kid into the or not nearly sending them to the emergency room. Their innocent uh, handicapped baby. And it, this actually raises an important point because you know all these swattings are happening where uh, people are calling the police and saying that something serious is happening at an address and then sending police to that house. It's happening to a lot of political figures, Republicans included, but mostly people that are anti-Trump, like both of the judges involved with Trump's cases right now uh, were swatted. And I saw an interview recently with, I believe, Scott McFarland, and he was interviewing one of the Republicans that was swatted. And in it, the Republican said that it was an assassination attempt. (laughs) to send the police to his house under false pretenses. And what's that say about what the cops are doing? What does that say about police? And in it, he's like, luckily we have police who are willing to do the job. It's like, you were worried they were going to bust in your house and kill you because a fake call was made. That's not something that should be happening. We should be able to know, okay, the police are going to show up and they're going to be competent and they're going to be able to figure out that something serious didn't happen in this house and that the call was fake. That's what the expectation should be, right? Yeah, no, his expectation, whoever that politician was, I assume man for some reason. He was. Uh, his his expectation is they're going to come in guns blazing and then ask questions later. Yeah. Shoot and then ask questions not, assess the situation, go in calmly and competently. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what even that person's expectation would be. Yeah. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. So we would love to know what you think about that, 657-464-7609, or you can send an email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. 
So the other thing that we want to talk about is the case of Brittany Watts, and this was also Ohio. So there's a ton of Ohio news on the show today. Brittany Watts is the woman who was pregnant. She went to the hospital several times attempting to get help with pregnancy complications. She went to a Catholic hospital. They were not helping her. She went home, had a miscarriage, and was charged with a felony for her handling of the the fetal remains and that is because the the remains got stuck and she plunged the toilet and the nurse at the hospital reported her for this and so the Trumbull County prosecutor brought charges against her a felony charge and even though he didn't need to the expert said that he did not need to bring that charge Thankfully, when it got before the grand jury, the grand jury declined to return an indictment for abuse of a corpse against Brittany Watts. And there was actually a rally held in her in her favor for for support of her while this was going on. And she and her attorney made a statement once they got the news. I don't want to thank my community. Warren. Warren, Ohio. I was born here. I was raised here. I graduated high school here. And I'm going to continue to stay here because I have to continue to fight. We have said from day one of all of this that Ohio law did not, does not, never supported these charges. Never supported it. And I am incredibly grateful that the grand jury today made that clear. So, of course, this is a horrifying situation that she she should have never been put through in the first place. There are women who miscarry on the toilet every day in this country. And, I mean, I'm fearful for what this may lead to in terms of legislation that Republicans may attempt to enact, right. in terms of laws surrounding what people will now be required to do with fetal remains after they have a miscarriage in a public place, on a toilet. Well, especially because Republicans consider a fetus, I mean, they consider a six or eight week old fetus, they think that it has a fully developed heart. They they, they want to call it heartbeat bill. Like there's a heart in a fetus. When it's just electrical activity, when you hear cardiac activity, it doesn't mean it's a fully formed heart. Republicans, even in their rhetoric and the way they talk about it, talk about fetuses, a clump of cells that will be human eventually. They talk about it like it's a baby. What Brittany Watts, the miscarriage she had wasn't of a fully formed human being. It just, that's not how it works. It just, it's misinformation and propaganda and people are being prosecuted with, with the full weight of the government because of that propaganda, based on those lies and that anti-science view of what's taking place. It's unconscionable. And if if Republicans were actually concerned about preventing abortions, then they would ensure that everyone has easy access to birth control. And in a shocking turn of events, Missouri, <laughs> Missouri lawmakers, a bipartisan group apparently of Missouri lawmakers are now pushing legislation to attempt to create easier access to birth control. 506 is your time right now. Meanwhile, a bipartisan group of Missouri lawmakers are pushing legislation to ease access to birth control. Our partners at the Post-Dispatch report that proposals from both Democrat and Republican senators would allow pharmacies or clinics in Missouri to hand out an annual supply of contraception at all, all at once instead of just a one or 
three-month supply. Republican State Representative Tara Peters sponsored a bill in the House. She says since Missouri is a non-abortion state, women should have every tool possible to avoid unintended pregnancies. That measure is already getting support. A hearing before the House Health Care Reform Committee is set for Tuesday. Imagine where we are in this country where this common sense, <laughs> yeah, no shit kind of a thing yeah. is viewed as, is welcomed as, oh, oh thank wow. God. <laughs> they did this? Oh my God, that's shocking. When this is the lowest bar of all the low bars. Yeah, and, and listen, when I was younger and I went to Plant Parenthood, they they would do this. They would hand you a bag with a one-year supply of birth control as well as two free plan B pills, the morning after pill. And it was fantastic because who has time to be going to a pharmacy every month or every three months to go and get your prescription filled or to attend another appointment to get your prescription renewed It's just nice to be able to have a one-year supply handed to you and to go ahead and take that. And I know a lot of people will hear this clip and also be frustrated by the fact that the onus is on the woman. You know, the emphasis is always on the woman taking birth control and how the woman is going to prevent a pregnancy. And it's an unfortunate reality of the society that we live in that they have not designed some sort of pill that men can take in order to take part in this process. I know they've tried. There's been headlines. They're like attempting, they're working on it all the time. Right, right. But they're not getting it done. Yeah, they solved the soft dick problem real fucking quick. (laughs) The birth control thing, eh, less important. Yeah, so, so, but... You know what? We'll take good news where we can, when yes. we can, and even though it hasn't gone through yet, they're they're working on it. Let's let's hope for the best. Right? Yeah. Uh, there is still some abortion uh, news here. I, I the clip is not named well enough for me to know to intro it. So wow, that seems like a vicious attack on the nine hundred. It's not a episode. vicious attack. So Kate Cox. I know it's from CBS Mornings. That's great. <laughs> Kate Cox is the woman who had to flee Texas to obtain an abortion. And we don't know what happened to her after the uh, Texas Supreme Court ruled that she was not sick enough to obtain an abortion in the state of Texas. She had already left the state to get it because she couldn't wait because she actually was sick enough to to need one. Yeah, let's... The the Supreme Court ruled in direct contrary uh, narrative to what her physician said. Yeah. Yeah. Her physician said... She needs an abortion. She should be able to get an abortion. She's going to possibly die. She's going to possibly be unable to have kids in the future. She... And the fetus will certainly die. Yes. And the Texas Supreme Court said, nah, we don't believe the doctor. You're not You're not sick enough. You'll be fine. And she had already left because, again, she wasn't fine. So we don't know what happened to her afterward, though. She hasn't been in the headlines. We have no follow-up. But thankfully, she sat down for an interview with CBS Sunday Morning. And this this clip is a part of a 10-minute long sit-down, so I would definitely recommend that you go and watch the entire thing. But this clip right now is going to pick up off where she says she went to New Mexico to obtain that abortion. Uh, we had to go out of state. Okay. The Coxes had the abortion in New Mexico and said goodbye to a future they'd already been grieving. Her name's Chloe. Why did you feel it was important to give her a name? I gave her a name because she'll always be my baby. 
um, her middle name is my grandfather's name, so that she knew who to look for in heaven. So she knew who to look for in heaven. On December 11th, while the Coxes were away, the Texas Supreme Court overturned the lower court's ruling. And what did the Texas Supreme Court say? Essentially, Kate wasn't sick enough. And I think what that makes clear to me, and the fact that the attorney general fought it as hard as he did, is that the exception in Texas doesn't exist at all. What did you think when you heard their ruling? It was crushing. Um, I was shocked that the state of Texas wanted me to continue a pregnancy where I would have to wait until the baby dies in my belly or dies at birth or lives for days and put my own health at risk and a future pregnancy at risk. We reached out to the Texas Attorney General and received no response. My best wishes to you for restored health and peace in the new year. The Coxes received hundreds of letters of support, but Kate stayed away from social media, where people on both sides weighed in, including former Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum. In the middle of this debate, Rick Santorum put out a picture of his daughter, who has trisomy 18 and is a teenager. Did you think there was any chance that your baby could have survived? You can't simply say, my child has trisomy 18, so yours would have ended up like this. I think that's a little ridiculous. Every case is different, and ours was extremely, extremely bleak. It was as severe as it gets, basically. The Coxes say the holidays with their family gave them some time to get back to normal, and they'll soon try to have another baby. Molly Duane has another abortion case in front of the Texas Supreme Court, and she says she's hopeful. Ultimately, Kate Cox didn't prevail. She lost. But did she make a difference? She absolutely made a difference. She got the health care that she needed. She got an abortion. But in terms of big picture, she brought people along on this journey with her. And she helped people understand the true human toll that abortion bans take on families. If you could do it all over again, would you do this again? Would you go through with the lawsuit again? I would. Mm -hmm. I've gotten to hear a lot of stories, you know, for other women. Um, And I have a daughter. I hope the law will be different one day. So if I had to do it over, I would. Imagine being Rick Santorum and having the audacity to tweet about your child who has the same uh, disorder that the, the fetus had in Kate Cox's case. And to say that your child is a teenager and that that somehow means that Kate Cox should have a baby that all of her doctors are telling her is not going to survive. And if it does, it's going to live a very painful and short life of torture and that it could possibly kill her as well and prevent her from having additional kids. When you can hear in her voice, you can see in her face that she wants nothing more than to have another baby. Yeah. This was a wanted pregnancy. Well, Rick, Rick Santorum, one, is just a, a shameless uh, Trump ass-kissing ghoul. He, he wrote a book with his wife called Letters to Gabriel back in the, the 90s, the early 2000s or something. And it's chronicling the letters they wrote to their baby that ended up I don't know if they wrote them knowing that the baby was going to die, but what it ended up was they brought a baby to term. The baby was delivered, 
and then suffered and died in their arms after birth. And they knew this was going to be the outcome. And they refused the mercy of an abortion and instead allowed the baby to be tortured and die suffocating with a slow, painful death in their arms after birth. That's who Rick Santorum is. He is absolutely just a fucking ghoul. Yeah, and it's like, you know what? Make your choice, okay, right. Rick Santorum? But That's the beauty of the pro-choice movement, little Ricky Santorum. And the beauty of freedom, right? right? And a lack of government intervention, government telling you what to do with your life. If that's how you want to live, Rick, then have at it, all right? Kate Cox should be able to make a different choice. Thankfully, New Mexico was there for her since Texas was not. Yeah. And Texas was like, no, you should be on the verge of death and possibly just die before we actually well, let, do anything to help you. Wait, Brittany, but I think what you're not taking into account... <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> ...is that Kate Cox, what she wanted to do, violates Rick Santorum's oh. particular interpretation of the Bible. Right. So... I mean, what are we supposed to do when what you want to do as a free American goes up against what Rick Santorum thinks the Bible says? Well, I think he should give me his personal phone number so that I can reach out to him anytime I need to make any kind of decision in my life just to see yeah. what he wants me to do. Like, I'll call him. Like, hey, Rick. I wish I had a phone. Rick, um, <laughs> listen, I'm at uh, the local suit store. Oh, yes. And uh, there's a sport coat here I really like. But it's made of silk and wool. It's mm. a blending of fabrics. And I know in Leviticus it says that that's an abomination. It's a big no-no. Can I, can I do it? <laughs> that's, that's him talking. <laughs> oh, I, I can. So th the Bible says it, but that that's okay? <laughs> okay. Okay, Rick. Okay. <laughs> wait, wow. wait. Oh, one more thing. Yeah, I'm not at the suit store anymore, Rick Centorum. Now You're I'm at, at the, the seafood counter. I'm yeah, I'm at the shrimp store. <laughs> they only sell shrimp, Brittany. It's just a shrimp store, and uh, I had a hankering for a, a shrimp scampi. I was oh. going to say shrimp cocktail, shrimp scampi. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> he already knew what the question yeah, was. Yeah, he, he didn't figured need the it question. out. <laughs> he figured it out. Uh, is it? Can I eat the shrimp? Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can eat the shrimp, but what about Leviticus? And it's an abomination. Nah. Okay. Shrimp is so tasty, I think okay. he said. Rick says it's okay. Yeah. Shrimp's pretty good, so. <laughs> I love organic bits, Brittany Page. <laughs> <laughs> you need your red phone. You're you're missing your red I phone. I should get another one so I don't have to have carry it in yeah. here. <laughs> hey, uh, we, I'm, I mean, I'm glad to end on somewhat of a, a smiley note <laughs> on what is a horrific um, chapter, another horrific chapter in the history of America relative to oppressing uh, groups that are, that are historically just oppressed and, 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 and stepped on the neck of, the necks of. We'd love to know what you think. Let's end it there. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Uh, let's talk about Nikki Haley. Oh, no. So this last... She did so well in Iowa, so it's important to talk about her. <laughs> yeah. It's so hilarious to me watching these Republicans... Like Rick uh, uh, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis. I saw you got Rick, Rick on the brain. Rick on the brain. <laughs> uh, 
Ron DeSantis acting like, you know, I'm still in it. I've still, there's still a pathway to victory. They're such, they're just delusional. But Nikki Haley got into it because a, a voter asked her about slavery in this country. I think we talked about it on the show, certainly on YouTube. Yep. And now the the question has kind of morphed, and it's just generally about the racism in America, to which uh, last week she said that America, the United States of America, with all the baggage we have, has not, not that it's not a racist country, that it has never been a racist country. And the, this question has... has uh, trailed her it's followed her for for the better part of a week and she is just not good even now when jake tapper asks her and he's one of the last to do so about it she still hasn't formulated a convincing answer to the question i mean think about what you're first of all i will tell you when you look at you know the declaration of independence it was that you know, men are created equal with unalienable rights, right? That was what we all knew. But what I look at it as is I was a brown girl that grew up in a small rural town. We had plenty of racism that we had to deal with. Wait, what? But my parents never said we lived in a racist country. And I'm so thankful they didn't. Because for every brown and black child out there, if you tell them they live or were born in a racist country, you're immediately telling them they don't have a chance. And my parents would always say, you may have challenges. And yes, there will be people who are racist, but that doesn't define what you can do in this country. And so I think it's important that we tell all kids that look, America is not perfect. We have our stains. We know that. But our goal should always be to make today better than yesterday. It's hugely important. And that's the problem I have is we have too many people with this national self-loathing. It is killing our country. We have got to go back to loving America. We are blessed because that little brown girl in that small rural town in South Carolina, she grew up to become the first female minority governor in history. She then went on to be UN ambassador, and now she's running for president of the United States. I want every brown and black child to see that and say, no, I don't live in a country that was formed on racism. I live in a country where they wanted all people to be equal and to make sure that they had life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, but just to... Just to push back a bit, because I was a history major in New Hampshire. Um, you're talking about the ideals of America. But America was founded institutionally on many racist precepts, including slavery. But when you look at said all men are created equal, I think the intent, the intent was to do the right thing. Now, did they have to go fix it along the way? Yes, but I don't think the intent was ever that we were going to be a racist country. The intent was everybody was going to be created equally. And as we went through time, they fixed the things that were not all men are created equal. They made sure women became equal too. All of these things happened over time. But I refuse to believe that the premise of when they formed our country was based on the fact that it was a racist country to start with. I refuse to believe that. I have to know in my heart and in everybody's heart 
that we live in the best country in the world and we are a work in progress and we've got a long way to go to fix all of our little kinks. But I truly believe our founding fathers had the best of intentions when they started and we fixed it along the way and we should always look at it that way. There's so many things here that are I've a written problem. so many notes. Um, from the intent, her, her constant focus on how their intent was good, like that matters. Um, so let me just go back to the beginning when she answers this question. She said that my parents told me that this country wasn't racist. This is the weirdest thing about politicians when they're running for office is they always hearken back to their childhood and they talk about like what what their parents taught them as though everything their parents taught them was correct. Like my parents told me the Holocaust didn't happen (laughs) and that Adolf Hitler was a person to admire. Should I continue believing that and respecting that because my parents told me that no like it's okay that your parents told you something and then what happens is you like wrestle with what your parents taught you and you try to figure out what your parents were right and wrong about because and this this might come as a surprise to some people your parents are not right about everything they're just people also she's advocating for we just lie to the kids yeah, like, okay. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, that, that's not even what she's shying away from. It's like, well, what are the little kids going to think if you tell them the truth about America? Right, and that's that's the point, really. They should be told the truth. They should know that this is not the greatest country on earth. They should know what the blemishes are. They should know those things because grappling with the truth is how you make those improvements. Yes. And if you act like, you know... The, the case in Mississippi with the hundreds of bodies that are buried in unmarked graves where the par- the families haven't been notified that we just talked about. I mean, all of these continued in, um, instances of the legacy of racism in this country, you can't honestly grapple with those things if you're not being honest. And even Donald Trump. Donald Trump is calling her Nimrata, which is her name, I, I guess. She uses the name Nikki, but he's calling her Nimrata to be racist and right. draw attention to the fact that that's her name. She's not white. She's not, uh, yeah. And and so <laughs> I wonder why Donald Trump's doing that. I wonder why he's being racist. I wonder why he continues to dominate all of these Republicans and be the number one choice when he's actively, openly racist. Also, it, it very much troubles me how consciously she minimizes slavery and racism by by referring to them as little kinks. Right, right. These little kinks along the way. Oh, my God. Slavery and the systemic torture, rape, and murder of blacks in this country isn't a little kink, Nikki Haley. In any way, is it a little kink? But Jesse, to take a take a page from your book, I don't think you've considered that <laughs> they had good intent. Oh, Their intentions were good. That's right. When 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 uh, the the inalienable. You know what? Is that it? Is that? I, how- I'm not going to attack her for that because <laughs> I did that several times just today. <laughs> yeah, but when it says that that we hold these truths to be self evident that. All men are created, are endowed by their creator, uh, created equal and endowed by their creator with uh, certain inalienable rights. Uh, those among them, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Very when impressive. That document was written, when that document was written, slavery was the order of the day. And then she says, well, we, we fixed things along the way. 80 years later, we dealt with slavery 
and 200 years from our founding, we were still dealing with the deleterious effects of racism. Jim Crow, where black and white people couldn't occupy this, or black people couldn't occupy the same spaces as white people, whether that be a bathroom or a lunch counter or a, 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 a fucking drinking fountain. How is it that 200 years after our founding, we're still dealing with these little kinks? Nikki Haley? It's just fucking gross. It is ignoring the history of our country. I love our country. But you know what I love more than our country? Our country in the future, which will be better than it is today. And if you don't have that attitude about fixing the problems, if you're ignoring what the fucking problems are, how are we going to fix those problems if you don't identify them as problems? It is the... The, 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 the sticking your head in the sand nonsense that continues with the Republican Party to try to brainwash their, their, their cult members that everything's great. We're the greatest country in the world. How are we the greatest country in the world? We're not even the freest country in the world. Nikki Haley. Yeah. Ugh. And again... I think that's the most important point is that refusing to be honest about this is going to prevent Republicans, everyone, from actually grappling with the realities of racism in this country. Yeah. And specifically for the Republican Party, Nikki Haley's inability to grapple with racism historically, racism in the present, is creating, helping to create, helping to continue the problem of racism in the Republican Party. We see the growing movement of white Christian nationalists. Marjorie Taylor Greene calls herself a proud white Christian nationalist. She's not the only one. There are numerous yeah. uh, Republicans who willingly, joyfully accept that label. It's open. It's not even a secret anymore. Like, oh, quiet. That, that's Nazi talk. We can't talk about being a white Christian nationalist, but now it's it's... Enorm. Right, and you hear people say, this is a white Christian nation, and we shouldn't be ashamed that we want to keep it a white Christian nation. And in fact, you just had a conservative commentator, Isabella Riley Moody, who is on, I guess, Stu Peters has a news network. He's a conservative. Another radical, yeah. And she also appears on, Gavin McGinnis has his own platform now, too, that she has a show on. And Gavin McGinnis is another radical, if, if you don't know these figures and their names. so He's it, the founder, the starter of the Proud Boys. Yes. He used to have a show on, or used to appear regularly on a Fox News show with Greg Gutfeld. Yes. So Isabella Riley Moody actually, given this whole conversation about this being a racist country, decided to go on her own little rant about white Christian nationalism. And I think it represents what a lot of conservatives feel. I actually think Republicans should embrace this. You know, I'm so sick of Republicans trying to shimmy away and shy away from the whole narrative that we're white Christian nationalists. No, that's what the Republican Party should be. We should try to go back to our traditional roots. America is a white Christian nation, and it's okay that we want to maintain that nation. We want to maintain what the country was founded on. Let's embrace this. Let's stop letting the left attack us. Embrace the attacks. They always call us racist. Okay, fine. I'm racist. Call me that. It's fine. I don't care what these people say about us. That is not an out-of-the-mainstream opinion for Republican the Republican Party now at all. In any way. And we should give a shout out to Right Wing Watch. Yes. Because that video came from Right Wing Watch as well. They do, uh, seriously, just as an aside, Right Wing Watch does amazing work at mon 
these clips, the reason we're able to find some of these clips and know about some of these people and track their behavior and their rhetoric is because of groups who have to hire people who have the absolutely nightmarish and thankless job of of watching all of this content all the, the time. Otherwise, the only audience members would be the people who are being indoctrinated, and the rest of us in the, in the right-thinking world, the correct-thinking world, would be unaware of the dangers that are presented by these people. So uh, definitely a shout-out to Right Wing Watch. Absolutely. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I Doubt It podcast, and we are not going to leave you there. We have a taking care of biz that is in line with some of this stuff, but it's still going to be a palate cleanser because somebody gets owned. Taking care of biz. Natasha Alford, who is a commentator on CNN was recently on a panel where they were discussing all these Nikki Haley racist country comments. And, you know, CNN has been accused of not being balanced in their panels. But, you know, shockingly, there's Scott Jennings on this panel, who's on CNN a lot, and he is a conservative. I don't know if he's supporting Trump again, although I think he probably is. He'll he'll end up doing it. He's a guy who has very tepid, just weak criticisms it, while he's defending Donald Trump and making excuses for all of his horrible behavior and rhetoric, he, he you know, it's Scott Jennings. He's the fucking worst. And so Natasha decides to go toe-to-toe with Scott Jennings on this issue, and you're going to love it. Country, yeah. And to improve us every day, which she never actually says, DeSantis says it, and I'm surprised at that because that's part of our proud history as Republicans, the fight against slavery and struggle. Can I just say something, though? I mean, we talk about this as if it is the past. We are looking at, we've covered stories where people have died, have been killed because of racism. Jacksonville, Florida, the Dollar Tree shooting. I mean, this is happening right now. And this is not just the black community, right? The Japanese internment. I mean, those families and descendants are still here. My last name is Alford, not because my family chose that last name. That is the name of the slaveholding family that owned us. I know the plantation that we are from in South Carolina, and I am here. My father desegregated a school. He remembers those things. So why do we have to talk about it as if it is past? This is right now. The pain is real. The survivors of racism, we are here, right? And so if you don't have a message around that, that talks about the future, that talks about the present, you cannot lead this country. Well, Republicans do have a message around it. And it's that, to ignore it. it. It's no. to say that we are colorblind, no, which and, does not and, and, solve and, and, the but, problem. But it is to say that we are undoubtedly a better and stronger nation on this front today than we were 10, 20, 40, 50, 150, 180 years ago. We are undoubtedly better as an American people than we ever have been. And, and that will be true again tomorrow. And but that, why I think is that? that was but why is it? Made. It's not because we ignored it. It's because people called out what was uncomfortable and they challenged the status quo and they said, we need to live up to what the American dream actually is. Those were the people who were demonized. We just celebrated Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was killed. He was killed. He was not considered a favorite or a darling of America because he stood up against racism, against poverty. And actually, the greatest threat was that he was uniting poor white people 
right, with poor people of color. That was the greatest threat to America, was that he was willing to bring us together. So again, we have to move past talking about this as if it is history, as if it's not happening right now. And when the Republican Party does this colorblind thing, you're gaslighting people. And they're going to react to that, and they're going to show it at the polls. Does Scott Jennings not listen as he's speaking? He's saying, well, we've made progress. We... We're better today than we were yesterday or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years or 250 years ago. We're better today. We've made progress. Hmm. What What the progress on what front, Scott Jennings? Is it progress <laughs> on the racism front? Ooh. Is, is, that the, is that the prog? I mean, Rick Santorum. <laughs> I mean, come on. Listen to what you're saying. The, the narrative that you're spinning because that's what he does. He's a, a political spinster. It, it doesn't even make sense when he says it. And the reason is, is because there's no way to make a cogent argument to convince anyone of, of, of the facts other than what the facts are, what our history is. Absolutely, our country was founded on a racist premise that only people who were worthy of self-governance are rich white men because those were the only people who could vote when our constitution was ratified in 1787. Those are, that was it. White, rich men. Not women. Certainly not black men. Certainly not black women. So come on. Let, let's, let's dispense with this fairy tale about America, America. Like the stop. Just fucking stop. Let's deal with reality on reality's terms and all work together to make America what we all wish it would be and hope it would be and what Republicans say that it is. And instead of spending time in his, as Norm MacDonald would say, cotton candy house, Scott Jennings should go and deal with the Elizabeth Riley Moody's of his party yes. if he's actually concerned about wanting to continue the progress that he's able to recognize. Absolutely. Well, we're going to leave you there. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Thanks for joining us for this 900th episode of I Doubt It podcast. Uh, we would ask that if you are in it for the long haul with us, if you want to see 901 and beyond, and you'd like to help produce this show, please go to patreon.com slash I Doubt It podcast and help support monetarily. Two bucks a month is the, we. You could start giving a dollar ninety nine a month and help support the show for as little as that uh, we love you we appreciate you we will see you next time for Brittany Page I'm Jesse Dollimore and this has been I Doubt
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.